Welcome to episode three of the Class of 2024 podcast. You'll notice I'm probably sounding a little bit less tinny. I'm thrilled to tell you that I splurged and got a pair of headphones with a mic, so hopefully you'll hear me a bit clearer. I was really intrigued. The box says these are anti-parasite, which was kind of intriguing. I'm thinking one of two things. Number one, aren't we all anti-parasite? Like, I don't really want an organism hosting in my body, just me personally. But, And then number two, or does that mean that this can actually save me from parasites? Because that'd be pretty amazing, right? To think that $29.99 headphones from Best Buy could could save me from an organism that wants to host on my body is pretty amazing. Sadly, it did not mention anything about COVID, so I think I'm on my own for that one. This week, we are going to talk about setting up academically, uh, setting up a workspace, and also uh, thinking about how a planner could be helpful to your student in keeping organized. Get ready. For many of you, you are starting school either this week or next, so it is coming. Here we go. The first thing we want to talk about this week is creating an academic workspace for your student. And these will come in two two varieties, desk or no desk. To give an example, my daughter has a desk in her room. Right now, she uses it primarily for anything but studying. Uh, She's got some makeup on there and some various odds and ends. She's kind of a crafty person, so she's got some supplies if she wants to make something. So our work this week is going to be on transitioning that to an academic workspace. Doesn't mean she can never put on makeup there. She can never craft again. I'm going to look organizationally at how we can contain those things so that when it's time for her to work academically, those things are all put away. In general, if you have a desk space, you want to eliminate the clutter so your student can really get to work and not have to be cleaning things out of the way. I know that's a struggle in general, teenagers who may be uh, lacking organization at this stage, but if you have a desk, and it's serving multiple functions right now, like I said, think about how you can creatively organize so that your student can kind of pull out what they need and then put it away in a convenient spot when it's done so that they can use it for various functions. As of right now, my son doesn't have a desk in his room. If we don't end up getting him one, we might take a different option with him. So if you don't have a desk available for your student, another option would be to claim a quiet corner of the house. I'm thinking of an area on our dining room table downstairs that's a little bit out. You you ideally want this in a room that people will not be consistently passing through. But you want to set up a workspace. So let's say I put my son in the dining room. What I would do then is kind of the same. Organizationally, think about what will he need to do his best academic work and how can I create a caddy or organizational system that he can easily pull out and put on that table to kind of claim it as his desk. Lakeshore Learning, teacher supply stores have little caddies with pen holders and things like that. And you can find uh, in the container store, in a teacher supply store, something that would fit that bill. But you want something that's portable that can be brought out every day to become the student's portable workspace. The one thing I would suggest avoiding, if possible, is having your student work on their bed. I know my kids in the spring kind of were nomadic through my house. Sometimes they were on beds, on a beanbag chair. Their work back then was asynchronous, and that was okay. They didn't have to be seen. 
And I kind of let them go with where they were doing their work as long as it got done. But now that your students, and we'll talk about this next, now that your students are likely to be more synchronous and on Zoom, they're going to want a, a workspace that looks a little bit more academic. And now that this change is likely to be a bit more permanent, we want to give them a more permanent solution to this as well. So again, on a desk, great. Make sure it's not performing multiple functions. And if it is, try to organize those other things away when academics are, are at the forefront. No desk, try to find something organizational so that pens, pencils, stapler, things like that can easily be brought out when your kid is ready to tackle their work. Kind of going along with the workspace is the idea that your kid will likely now be synchronous for classes. Again, I said, I know for my own kids from March to June, they were largely asynchronous, which means it didn't really matter where they were and if they were moving throughout my house during the day. They had Zoom or Google Meet or Google Classroom uh, meetups very infrequently. So often they didn't have to worry that much about how they looked or what was in the background of where they happened to be sitting. But again, with some planning and some added time, the teachers are gonna be presenting this fall with a lot more synchronous instruction where they'll be live over Zoom, where they'll be put into breakout rooms as small discussion groups and where they're expected to be there and be active as they would in a face-to-face -face classroom. So I'm gonna give you five tips of Zoom etiquette that I gave to my own freshmen at my university that I think are just good rules of thumb. And as you're setting up that academic workspace, you can think about whether you can achieve these in the place where you're trying to set up your student. The first thing your student should do is think about how they look. Clothing is not optional on Zoom. Now I'm assuming your student is not gonna show up nude, but that also means that whole trick of not wearing pants. I've seen way too many people have that backfire. So uh, for, for guys, please don't come shirtless to a class. It may be hot, but it's, it's uncomfortable. You know, in general, your student wants to dress how they would dress in a classroom. They can adopt a slightly more casual version, but PJs, no shirt, things like that, not, not giving the best first impression possible to their new teachers. They need to brush their teeth and hair. The teeth you won't be able to tell, but I think there's something to be said for just basic hygiene. And then one thing you can have them check in advance is their lighting. In the area where you have them, is there a window right behind them? Are they uh, entirely in silhouette with their face not able to be seen? So check those things in advance. You can do that just by having them go uh, utilize your camera on a video just on their, their laptop or iPad or whatever it is you're using. So again, consider where they're sitting, both for the lighting and also for other things. I I've, think I mentioned earlier, if I didn't, uh, I prefer that students not sit on their bed. I think that it's confusing to them because that's also a place where they hang out and sleep. If they are absolutely required to be on their bed, fine but don't have them in bed. Make sure that they've made the bed and they're sitting on top of it. Look at posters or pictures that may be in the background that they may not want to show to the rest of their class or to their teacher. Um, you can use backgrounds, at least in Zoom. So there is something called virtual backgrounds. If you're in Zoom under video, you can hit the arrow and it'll instruct you in how to set a virtual background. Make sure it's something too distracting to the rest of the class. But if you're in a situation where the background is not what you would have it be, that's an option. 
And then if you've put them in a, or if they've chosen a kind of central location, just make sure people won't be walking behind them. I had a couple of tough early encounters with Zoom with my college students as their roommate would be walking by in a towel or something like that. So you want to avoid that. Navigate the audio and video well. Again, I'm making these suggestions for Zoom. There are equivalents for this for the Google uh, version of Zoom as well. But have your student mute themselves when entering a room and encourage your student to stay on mute unless they're participating in the class, actively talking. Otherwise, what you end up with is hearing every barking dog, every yelling sibling and things like that from each of the houses that are Zooming in. And ask your student to follow their teacher's lead about video. On the whole, I would say the teachers are probably going to want to see the students face-to-face -to, -face to foster dialogue and interaction, but make sure your student is following the teacher's recommendation on that. And then finally, you want your students to know how to ask a question if they have one in class. And again, their, their teacher will probably set those norms. They can use the chat function on Zoom if it's enabled, but be aware that if the teacher is in screen share or using some of the other functions, they can't see the chat. So there is a raise hand function that probably most teachers would want the students to use. They can go under their participant toolbar and if they click on that, there's an opportunity to raise a hand. And no matter what the teacher is doing, they can see that raised hand. The, the teacher may also set something up on their own by periodically stopping and asking for questions. If you are completely new to Zoom, you can go to www.zoom.us and you can test out some of these options before your student actually gets to having to use Zoom for the first time. Finally, the third thing that you can do to help your students academically is to buy them a planner and help them learn how to organize their time and their assignments. This is going to be particularly true if your student is in a hybrid model because they'll be navigating some days in person and some days online and they're going to want to be able to kind of integrate them. In middle school, at least at our middle school, my kids had an iCal or um, Google, Cal I don't remember which one it was, but a coordinated calendar that all of the teachers were putting assignments on. But again, that often falls away in high school. I know when I taught high school, I put my assignments on my website and it was a it was a school affiliated website, but other people put theirs on different systems. So don't assume that there will be one coordinated calendar. I know for my kids as well, they have a schedule where they don't have every class every day. And that's true of block schedules and things like that. So they'll need to navigate, perhaps for the first time, having an assignment due even though they didn't have the class that day and having to be reminded that they have to do that homework even if they didn't have the class that day. For example, they see the, the teacher on a Monday, they don't see them on Tuesday, but the assignment's due on a Wednesday. So remembering to tackle that Monday and Tuesday. The best planners, in my opinion, are those that have the ability to see the week weekly and to see the month as well. Weekly pages are for the day-to-day -day assignments that are due. And like I said, they give your student the opportunity to divide up an assignment. If something is assigned Monday and due Friday, your student can go in every day and plan out specific steps to get things done toward that goal. The monthly calendar is really helpful, not only to know things that are happening in their own lives, but also to see when bigger assignments are due. And that can help them to see 
uh-oh, maybe they have a personal, uh, a family event going on or something personal to them on the same day that something is due. So they'll need to start that in advance. So again, a planner is going to be really essential in college. So this is a great way to get them started, get them organized and help them integrate being in school if they are and being home or just making some sense of their home time. All right, good people. That is the end of episode three. If you enjoyed this one and haven't already, please follow or subscribe to this podcast. Uh, I can see the analytics and I can tell that I have a listener in Ireland. So if you're out there, thank you for listening. As promised, I'm going to feature a uh, an organization each week that you can look to donate to or to help in some way. These tend to be in the Philadelphia, greater Philadelphia area but all of them have places where you can donate online if you're not able to physically get there. So this week's organization is Book Smiles, and that's at www.booksmiles.org. This is a great organization. Larry Abrams is their founder, and he actually taught ninth grade English with me, or I taught with him. He was, he was the veteran of the two of us uh, when I taught. And we, we taught in an area where students didn't grow up with a lot of books what he now calls book deserts. After I left our school, he ended up starting this nonprofit and it's fantastic. What he realized was that a lot of our students, and again, we were teaching them at the high school level, but that they didn't bring a strong foundation of reading because as kids, they didn't have a childhood library or access to a lot of books at home. And so Larry and now his team uh, set out to change that. Basically, what he does is if you're in the South Jersey area or you feel like taking a trip over here, he has a bunch of collection sites. They're brightly paint, painted trash cans where you can actually just put a stack of books in. And what he's looking for is gently used children's books. If that doesn't work for you, you can also donate on their website, again, booksmiles.org, to help them run the facility and distribute the books. But basically what happens is he collects books and then teachers can join his site and get loads of hundreds of books to, to staff a classroom library. And someone, as I said, who worked in this district or a district like this, he's now expanded well beyond our original district. But I can tell you that the right book can change a kid's life and whole trajectory. I watched it happen. So please, whether you donate, whether you bring some, some books or you're donating money, help Larry and his organization continue to inspire kids with a love of reading. Thank you so much, and I hope to, to see you again next week. <laughs>